Black people. Black history. Yo, oh my God! Yeah, I'm still, I'm still here and angling. You know what I'm saying? You told me you was leaving. <laughs> Last time I talked to you, you said you were late. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I wanted to finish my dissertation, which I submitted in December. You did. So, and I also defend in March. Wow! So. I wish I could fly out there because I would really attend that straight up. I'm being serious. Can people come? I. Yeah, they're they do it differently in okay. the UK. They're just like it's kind of like this private execution. <laughs> you know, they, all, yeah. they do that a lot. That's a hallmark in the UK: private execute public. Do they wear the wigs for for dissertation no. defense? That's yo, that's hilarious. <laughs> Erica, that is hilarious. <laughs> So That's one of the do hilarious. you need to wear one of the wigs? I think you need to wear one of the wigs. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, that's hilarious. It'd be like, this motherfucker needs a different job. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's like ah. So, so I know we don't have you for very um, long, but... I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chill. So the thing is, like, whenever, like, I do interviews, I try to be like, mm, let's not... You know, if it's on Eastern time, let's not do it at five when it's like ten o'clock here and it's like bedtime for me. You know, because I'm a grandpa, so yeah. it's like, oh, it's time yeah. to go sleep. You know, no, that makes you sense. like Erica. Y'all start, y'all stop functioning at night. I literally fall. Asleep. I'm falling asleep at like ten thirty every night now. I don't, I don't know. Listen, what you know, wait, what is it that that saying like early to bed, early to to rise makes a man. Uh, something, something wise or something. I never heard of that. I, well, I heard something about the early bird catching the worm. That, yeah. that too. But it's it, my mom would tell me that because my mom had all these little catchy yeah. phrases, you know. And I'm like, oh shit. Older black you know? people have. I, I'm trying to like collect all my moms. With my mom saying mom yes, yes, Eb. We gotta start swapping those so I can really start archiving them things. I'm not Come on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Eb. Yo, yeah. real talk. Real talk. Those yeah. are fucking yeah. gems. I My swear mom to God. had what I bet you dimes to donuts. Yeah. <laughs> and she never explains what they mean. She said, I bet you dimes, dimes to, donuts, to donuts, donuts, such and such. I bet you dimes to donuts, they was over there doing blah, blah, blah. I'm but like, also, what did she say? It's dimes to donuts. That it's, um, it's, if it's not one thing, it's another. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Come, on said, Come on now. Come on now. Lord have mercy every day, and also Lord have mercy every Didn't day. Did she say everything? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, she does say it. All. <laughs> we just uh, got to start collecting. Yeah, I know. I feel you on that because the thing is, I feel like whenever like I date people, like you know, people who I spend a lot of time with, then they just start rolling yeah, off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm sounding like my mammy, yeah. you know? I'm when just you like, be Mac wow, and you be you just know? throwing out. And you tell me all the ism from mom when you be on Mac mode. That's really poetic in a lot of ways. You know, come on, Em. Wow, you see me. <laughs> see, my Gemini brother be yeah, seeing yeah, me, right. you know? <laughs> Yeah, Yo, you know my ministry. You know, you know my ministry. <laughs> so for the few, very few people who do not know who you are. Welcome, first of all. Welcome to, to Black no, People Tell no. Black History 2024. Yes, yeah. we back in here. I no, think Cypher has no. been with us all four years. That. 
Yes. Yo, I just, I yo, from the rooter to the tutor. You know what I'm saying? That. I love that. Yes. You know, from the, what is it? The, the womb, womb to the tomb. To the you know tomb. what I'm saying? That's right. And I thank you for always humoring us. I know yes. that you are extremely busy, but you just be so down. And you yeah. just be so with it. Yeah. And we love you for that. We thank yeah. you so much. For all the education yeah. that you've given and the benefit that, that you provide, the value you add to the project would not yeah. be the same without you. I'm not just saying that because we're friends. Oh, oh, Eb, I appreciate you. I, I mean, I love y'all. I love y'all as a couple. I love y'all as a family. I love y'all. I love what y'all do in the world. I love how unapologetic black y'all are. How y'all like this is for yeah. niggas only. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like yes, niggas, you know. So yeah, I just really. Yeah, I love my people. I love my black queer folks, you know, and I'm just like always down, you know, for my work to sort of be in conversation, in dialogue and community with other black queer people. So I'm just always thankful for y'all's the work that y'all do and for y'all invitation. Like I will always show up, you know, as long as I got my sanity, I'll show up. Even if I don't have it, I'll show up. And I'll be like, what the fuck is you saying? Just, I'm here, you know? Come as you are. Freda, thank you. <laughs> So you know. we, you know, you've been with us for four years, so people are familiar with who you are yeah. from our networks, but people should really be familiar with who you are just in the world yeah. anyway, because you're now a famous documentary star. Movie star. star. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow, movie star? Wow. I wish I was getting some movie star money, okay? Period. It's just like. Period. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, so. Until I'm getting them big checks, I am still a very humble activist scholar out in these streets. You know what I'm saying? So if you could introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. I appreciate you, Erica. So for people who are not familiar with me, my name is Sean Seifer-Wall. I am black. I am queer, intersex, trans. I've been a a researcher as long as I've been Mm -hmm. an activist. Almost. So I've always been committed to research and research can be problematic, but I've always been committed to research that that highlights that supports marginalized mm. communities, because I feel like research can be very yeah. extractive. And alongside doing research is sort of like just I mean, one of the reasons why I'm in the world is to really challenge the, the systemic injustice that people who are born with intersex variations yeah. face, the medical violence, and also to tell as many people as possible about the medical violence that was visited upon my body and why we really need to challenge this, you know, mm-hmm. this framework, mm-hmm. you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think I want to start with, you know, Psycho, you've been interviewed a few times. You've done didactic educational videos. You also did one of our only podcast episodes that was released last year because we ended up, you know, nation building. As I say, you know, the baby came <laughs> right Love in that. the middle. Probably, Love that. Probably after Love that. I'm blaming it yeah. on you. East was like, let me get out here and see what's happening. And see East what's happening. It's like, I got something to say. <laughs> you know, so I, I think I want to start off kind of in a different way for folks who are familiar with your more didactic work and your advocacy work. How would you describe the young cypher? Like, how, what were mm. you like? Erica mentioned that in mm. the Everybody movie. 
you know, you were doing, you were already agitating the state at a pretty young age. You were already actively resisting. Hmm. Probably born, you were born, you know, inside of resistance. <laughs> the more <Right>. fingers. <laughs> you know, this. Yeah, you was born resistant. So what were, how would you describe yourself as a young person? What were you like? Hmm. Yeah, Eb, that's a, such a beautiful question. And I don't know why it made me teary Whoa. when you asked that question. But yeah, I think when I was a kid, I was just wild and free, you know? And I feel like I was <clears throat> really embodied in the sense that, you know, I was, people were telling me I was this girl, but I felt like a boy. And, you know, I, you know, for instance, I would run around the house bare chested, yeah. you know, and just yeah. I'm free, you know, and yeah, yeah I, I think I just had a really profound sense of my whole entire mm. being, you know what I'm saying? And so I think when I was castrated, I think it, it, it was such a, I, I think I couldn't fully process it at the time, but I think it was like such an immediate shift, right? Because when I, it's one thing to not know and to have violence visited upon you before you can even process it. And it's another thing to have a sense of yourself and experience a certain Mm -hmm. violation, you know? Um. But I think for me, I was always really committed to sort of fairness and equity. Like my mom said when I was younger, I'd be like, that's not fair. And she'd be like, life is not fair, (laughs) you know? But I used to call some shit out in a minute. I'm like, this ain't fair, you know? And yeah, I think, you know, I think that's such a profound question because there was at the time, and I'm pretty sure y'all can relate to this Mm -hmm. in different ways, but it was like, you know, I was growing up in the Bronx, you know, during the crack epidemic, during the AIDS epidemic, you know, like my father was a crackhead, like people in my neighborhood, in my building were smoking mm-hmm. crack. Um, there was like domestic violence, like it was just all of this swirling mm-hmm. around me. Right. And I think what I came to recently is that my ability to dream came from living in those circumstances because for me I needed to that's why my my I don't know how to describe it but like my capacity for fantasy is so big right my my vision as an activist is so big because it's just I was in conditions I lived during conditions that were Mm -hmm. maddening you know that were violent that were destabilizing when I reflect on that time the conditions were such that it was not meant for my survival Mm -hmm. You know, I remember during the crack of a, a epidemic, it was just like heinous. It was heinous. Yeah. It was wild. It was gangs. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't wear red. I didn't wear red for a long time in my neighborhood. <laughs> right. So the conditions were not conducive mm-hmm. for my survival. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, what it meant was that I had to envision something beyond what was in front of me. And I think my capacity for dreaming came from that period. And I think in one way, someone can look at it and be like, yeah, there's some mild association. And I think in another way, that sort of ability 
to sort of take myself out of those circumstances in some ways saved my life and protected my young mind, you know? It didn't occur to me as dissociative. I think it occurred to me as what you mentioned is your sense of self. You said your sense of self, you had already as a child, a strong and firm sense of self, even as violence was visited upon you as just opposed to, you know, having not having a sense of self in relationship to the violence being visited upon you, multiple different types of violences, and the difference between what that was able to do for you, knowing who you were at a very young right. age, and have, having that sort of be armor for you in that in, in those environments and in a in an anti-black, transphobic, homophobic world. I feel like you yes. made me think, because you said you don't feel like it's dissociation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's another way that the therapist industrial complex, like the DSM, has marked how we get free for ourselves in these horrific right. conditions. Mm-hmm. By naming it dissociation, right. it's now a problem. But if that's all you have, totally. right, is it really a bad Listen. thing? Right? Like, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really, it's like I, I disconnected in a lot of ways from the harm that I witnessed right. during my childhood through TV, mm-hmm. right? Like I love right. television. Totally. To this day, I love television. It's a break for me. It right. feels like a break. Um, looking at Listen. somebody else's reality other than my own, whether it be scripted TV or reality, I'm here for it. Come on, so, come on. The stories, I watch Family Matters. Give me a break. I watch a little TV as well. Listen. Morning, you watch softcore porn. Cinemax. Oh, oh, not Skinemax. Not Skinemax. I think that's that's just important to know. I just I feel like that. That's why I'm so happy that Erica came up with that question about acting about your younger self because it doesn't Mm. seem. Do you find that it seems different to you? Do you and do is that person still with you? Mm. That version of yourself. It don't seem that different. Yo, you know, the thing is, what's wild is that I've, I read last summer when everybody premiered at Tribeca Festival, I reconnected with a classmate from high school, right? And, you know, it was wild because she's born the day after me. And she told me this memory. She was just like, she was like, I remember you on the first day of school. And she was just like, I remember, like, I thought you were so cool and she was just like, I hated Aquinas because we both went to this all-girls Catholic yeah. high school that doesn't even exist anymore that closed down the, during the mm-hmm. pandemic. And she was like, I hated Aquinas, right? But she was like, you were always just so loud and just so cool, yeah. you know? And I was like, yo, I thought you were cool, yeah. you know? And so we connected, like, last summer, and she was like, yo, you're the same. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would I change? Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course... Of course, you know, I'm not a child anymore. I'm a grown person. I'm like, I just turned 45. I'm really out here, you know, and I've had life experiences that have grown me. But I think the core of who I am, just being authentically myself, is, hasn't changed. Yeah. And I'm like, why would it change? Like, who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to be? I'm just trying to be more myself, you know? <laughs> what is an aspect of your politics? that has changed Mm. since you were a kid or when you, since you were a young person, even like when Ebony and I first started dating, I tell the story all the time Mm. that I said to him, like Bill Clinton was our first black president. 
And he looked at me and was Oof. like, what did you just say? It almost ended the date entirely. Just mm. yeah, yeah. Ah. mental yeah. anyway. So it just was like, what? <laughs> and, and, and now to even recount it, I'm like, what in the world was I talking about? But there is a growth <laughs> in politics. Like right. where has your politics shifted? Because I think- Or evolved. Evolved. Because sometimes we, when we do Black right. people tell Black history- I think there is a little bit of a mystery around how did you get to this point of understanding? And I right. know that there are likely intersex folks mm. that, or even just, right. we know black people, there's various levels in understanding of politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right, right, what right. What has that, how has it evolved for you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I want to just jot them down mm-hmm. because there were like three, moments that came to mind when you asked the Mm -hmm. question and I think the first was sort of like when I got to college it was a predominantly white Mm -hmm. college like Williams College very Mm -hmm. at the time it had like a billion dollar endowment Mm -hmm. just like it's a small liberal arts college but got so much money you know what I'm saying and so I was just like this nappy headed kid coming out of the Bronx and this was my first time actually going to school with white folks You know, because 99% of my high school was, like, black and Latino, right? And there was, like, two white girls. One was Greek and one was Italian. They didn't fuck with the Italian girl because she was fucking brolic as fuck. So it was like, oh, nah, nobody fucking Rosaria. Never forget her, you know? (laughs) And I remember, like, when I, my freshman year, my first year, I was, I was just to say, oh, my mom's ghetto, ghetto, ghetto. And the white kids were like, whoa, ghetto, you know? And... I didn't have sort of like any consciousness around what that meant because it was sort of like we were all young. We were all children, essentially. But I didn't have any idea about the sort of political, the socio-political sort of history and the meaning of how ghettos are built and created, how they keep certain people in, how they keep certain forces out. You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand that. You know, and I think there was these subtle sort of class things that I wasn't aware of. I grew up in the hood. I grew up poor. But the thing is, like, I remember when I graduated from Williams, I had become friends with someone and we were in the village walking around and there was someone asking for money. And I was like, oh, look at that bum. You know, why don't they work? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She checked me. She was like, everybody's out here hustling. Mm-hmm. Just because that person doesn't have a home, that doesn't mean they're not hustling. They're probably the best hustlers right. out here. Right? And I was like, oh, that was another light that came yeah. on. Right? But I do feel like the foundation of my political awareness that like opened my mm-hmm. eyes and that made me hungry for not only the the history of our people, the history of resistance, but also that really started my journey of questioning was the autobiography of Asada Shakur. Mm. And when I read that, I was like, oh, wow. that's That was a turning point mm-hmm. when I was just like, you know, and I think my politics got refined over time because when, you know, like the young people today. I, I think there's something about youth where you just say shit with your chest and you're like, yeah, I'm right. I'm out here. <laughs> Y'all need to learn, <laughs> you know? And for me, it was like, when I was younger, it was all about queer people of color. Like, yeah, we're queer people of color, <laughs> you know? And I think as I've gotten older, 
there's so much texture and nuance, mm-hmm. right? And I think as I've gotten older, I've learned to sort of be more in the nuance, be more in the gray and search for the texture, mm-hmm. search for the nuance. You know, I think for me, that's where the shift comes mm-hmm. in, you know? I appreciate the candor yeah. in that answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, and the honesty. It's an excellent question today. Thank I, you. I feel like if I was, it is, yo, Erica, yeah. just come with yeah, the question. Say something very, see, you know, I would, you know, you, yeah, me, it would be yeah. very like altruistic toward myself. It wouldn't actually be honest. It'd be like, <laughs> oh, when I read, you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and then to realize that a lot of that was, mm. you know, fabricated and embellished. You know, even though it was a radical, right, right. in the eighth grade. You know, now as a as a thirty right. three year old, I'm learning newly that Alan Taylor he might have been you know an informant. He might have been on some op shit with the FBI. And, Yo. you know, just had Alan Taylor you know yeah. wrote it. This yeah. was, and it was released posthumously. So Malcolm X didn't get a whole lot right. to say on the contents of it. Right. So it was spinning mm. a certain type of redemptive narrative around you know you take right. this black militant person and then they they decry their black militancy for a multiculturalist you know, integrative, integrationist Islamic rhetoric. And so mm-hmm. all of that stuff is just right. gobbledygook in a lot of ways. So I really appreciate mm. you mentioning like those things. I feel like one, a place that I've evolved is probably, or maybe I'm growing and evolving is maybe I, maybe I'm, mis- I probably misogynistic in some way. You're patriarchal. Patriarch. I'm not misogynistic. I'm patriarchal. You're not misogynistic. You could no. be patriarchal. Yeah, I probably could grow there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. You're like, enough about me. <laughs> you know, what... A- <laughs> Yo, but you know what's interesting? You know, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but The Reinvention of Malcolm X by Manning Marable. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. It is such an excellent text. Yeah. And Manning Marable is an is he's deceased, yeah. but he's an impeccable historian yeah. and he literally spent hours and months at the Schomburg meticulously researching every part of Malcolm's life. When the book came out, people were in uproar. Because basically, he talked about Malcolm X as a human Mm -hmm. being, right? He was like, let's be honest that Malcolm X was a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest that Malcolm could have cheated on Betty with a white woman. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, later on in his life. And to your point about the... Is it the autobiography of Malcolm X? By Alex Haley? He was just basically saying that it was curated. Even Malcolm X, even in the telling of his story to Alex Haley, it was a curation because he wanted to put forth an image of black men in the nation of Islam to America, mm-hmm. right? So he literally censored huge parts of yeah. his life to sort of curate this experience, yeah. right? And so, yeah, when you said that, it totally made me think of that book. If you have a chance to read it, it's a, a gorgeous yeah, book. It. Yeah. Is Men and Marable white? Men and Marrow's okay, black. Yes, there's another he, one. Okay, I want to make sure it's not that one. Mm-hmm. There's another by a white historian, and I'm just like never reading nothing about black people. Ha! <laughs> okay. Like never. Yeah, Men and Marrow's <laughs> black. Really good. Thank you. He also he also wrote how capitalism underdeveloped Black oh, America. I, think I have that. You bought yeah. Men and Marrow is on some real Walter shit. Rodney. He was fucking I think dope. That's Walter Rodney. It is. is that Walter Rodney. No, it's how Africa, how how the U.S. or some underdeveloped Africa or something like that. I can't. I, 
We got all these. Yeah. I'm literally looking around. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. You like, we got the Schomburg in our house. Okay, we're working. Yeah. Yeah. The question that I have is we are currently and have been for quite some time witnessing several genocides in Palestine, in in occupied Palestine, in Sudan, in Congo, and Uh, also here in the United States amongst black people and more specifically amongst black trans women. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of lies told. There's a lot of denial that happens as the state controls that violence that they want to continue to be a part of towards the goal, money and oil and mass wealth. Mm -hmm. In similar ways, I think about intersex people and the lies that the state tells about intersex Mm -hmm. folks. So what are, if you could share with us, what are some of the lies that are told at the institutional level about intersex folks and how does that directly impact intersex people existing? Who you know, <laughs> man, I'll, I'll ground that my response in a, an experience I had recently. Mm-hmm. So I was asked to give a lecture, a virtual lecture at the Louisiana, at Louisiana State University School mm-hmm. of Medicine. And I believe that, you know, it may be difficult, especially during this time where there's sort of like this witch hunt. It's like, the return, I, I don't think it's ever left McCarthyism, yes. but there is sort of like, it, for me, what I see is like a, a conglomeration of different forces, forces, right? You have fascism, white nationalism, which are kind of the same, different branches of the same thing. You have like Christian nationalism. It's just like us, oh, so many, so much, right? So my presentation was going to be, it's going to be fierce. I was like, oh, not. Nah. I'm bringing the heat, you know? So I, I talk about, for me, we can't talk about intersex without talking about medicine as an institution that is rooted in colonialism, that's rooted in eugenics, that is anti-Black, that is fundamentally racist, misogynist, fat, phobic, all the things, right? And it created an uproar in that class. I There was a parent who reached out to me because my logo for Unborn Sun Media has this little cute little character and Behind it is a pentagram. So basically, he was saying that you gave this lecture on homosexuality and transgenderism, and you have the Satanist logo. And then he sent an email, CC'd me with the deans of the school, right? Um, And there were students who wrote a letter, and basically, they were saying that, you know, medicine is facts and science and politics do not belong in Whoa, medicine dear right Lord. and how intersex people have been treated is political okay. and for me the way i see it is that medicine is really invested in protecting is you know when you look at clinical trials most of the clinical trials are based on white mm-hmm. men right and so medicine is deeply rooted in maintaining the gender binary. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that has been at the expense of intersex mm-hmm. people, right? Even with 
John money when he established his gender identity clinic at Johns Hopkins hospitals, that clinic saw more intersex patients than trans patients. Mm. And so the way I also sort of look at it is that you have this bias that exists in medicine, but then you also have the state who actively is complicit in that erasure, in Mm -hmm. that violence, right? Because the state is deeply invested in the gender binary. And what I see in the U.S. is that the state is also complicit in sort of protecting these very bad actors. You know, I have called out doctors who I know are pedophiles who are doing these Mm -hmm. surgeries, right? And I'm just like, as activists in this context, in the U.S. context, we've been saying for over 30 years who the actors are, what's happening, and yet the U.S. is like, the State Department issued Happy Intersex Awareness Day. And I'm just like, oh, right. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's a willingness to sort of overlook Mm -hmm. um, the sort of violence of the state. There's a willingness to, again, sort of deify and reinforce the power of physicians Mm -hmm. because the medical lobby in the U.S. is huge. Right? Yo, 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 say that. Say that. Say that. Insurance companies. Yeah. What are you saying? Yo, yo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You haven't taken the the business of medicine class yet. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. You know, what are we doing? You should have told I will already be getting paid. So it's totally fine. Yeah. Whatever. Run me That's my check. Whatever you have to say is totally fine. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. But I don't know if I did. I hit your you answer your question because you I really because I just see the okay. I, I, I'm I'm really interested in people seeing the connections that are right. within violence because I think we talk about let's talk about the genocide in Palestine and then let's talk about right. intersex act. It's like no, it's all connected. Right, the same lies totally. that they tell totally. about Palestinian people are the same lies that they tell about intersex people and black people, and so right. on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. I you one hundred percent answered it. I just I wanted to well, break, keep making the connection. Well, I think mm-hmm. two is just like you know, for Intersex Awareness Day, I had made a post about how intersex justice is decolonization, mm-hmm. and basically what I say and what I feel, and based on what I've read and. I'm really interested in looking at how Christian Zionists, Mm -hmm. right, how they are really dedicated to the state of Mm -hmm. Israel, right? This rogue state of Israel, Mm -hmm. but also Christian Zionists are also attacking trans people and also advocating for the violence against Mm -hmm. intersex people and also are advocating against Mm -hmm. abortions, right? So it is all connected. And I think as long as we continue to exist in silos and to talk about issues in silos, then it gives an advantage to this far-right agenda. Yeah, And I I think people think that intersex people, there are no intersex people in Congo. There are no no Sudanese intersex people. Yeah. There are no Palestinian intersex people. Mm-hmm. It's only two. Yeah. This is right. how people are right. thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the and, three from the documentary. It's the three from the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. So oh Lord. Really invisible. That's why they was in an uproar in a state like Louisiana. In an uproar because a black intersex person 
a trans person, a queer person, it, that's danger to the state. Yeah. That's danger to the situation. Yeah. It's all a radicalizing totally. force mm-hmm. that they do not want in the mm-hmm. state of right. Louisiana. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you going that True. that was necessary to do. And so there there's right. a lot of power in that. I feel like my next question is what mm. to you inside of that, what would a particularly a black intersex revolution look like to Ooh. you? What would it look like? Man. Yo, I mean... You know, I never have... I feel like always my activism has been nonviolent. When I graduated from college in 01, the first internship I had was at the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which is the same organization that Bayard Rustin also Mm -hmm. worked. And it's one of the oldest interfaith peace organizations in the U.S. It was founded in 1919. And, you know, it was there that I learned about Martin Luther King. I learned about Bayard Rustin and Gandhi. But I also learned that Gandhi was racist, you know. And, you know, I think what I... It's such a layered and it's a, I'm going to use the word again. It's so textured. It's such a textured conversation around revolution because I I think there are different components of a revolution, Mm -hmm. right? I think one is a sort of somatic understanding of revolution, Mm -hmm. right? That when you have these huge openings that you have to be prepared to bring some different shit into that new space that you want to create. Right. Because if you have an opening and if you have a revolution and if you're patriarchal and misogynist and homophobic and transphobic, you're going to bring that into the new revolutionary space. Right. So I think there's a a somatic and a fundamental shift that needs to happen in the body and in the consciousness in order to embody a new to sort of continue with what I was saying. I I never thought about taking up arms. You know, I know how to fire a gun. I know how to shoot guns. I know about different guns. I think everyone is, if you're living in violent places like the U.S., I think people need to know this. They need to have this knowledge, especially black people, because black people had guns because white people would kill black people and try to lynch black people. Right. And it was always a threat to the safety of black people. So black people were armed. Right. And so I've always had a very... Conflicted relationship with guns because I think if you own a gun, you have to be prepared to take someone's life. And I was never prepared Mm -hmm. to do that. And I think for me, with the rise of fascist authoritarianism, I think we really need to revisit sort of like what it means for black people to be armed, what it means for black people to be armed and protect our communities, especially if we're faced with white nationalist violence, you know? And I think for me, like part of revolution is also education. You know, before you had black studies programs, Chicano studies programs, before that knowledge was institutionalized, there would be reading groups, right? There was sort of like community education, right? There was like a value of like really sort of like being in dialogue with people to really sort of educate each other, right? To develop strategy. And so I feel like... You know, we tend to sort of look at sort of education as this elite thing, but this can act, this is actually a tool, right? Like one of the tools of sort of revolution, because what I see about fascism is that it actively promotes ignorance. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. like we see it with the banning of books, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's no different from the burning of books that have happened during the Third Reich, for mm-hmm. example. So the thing is, is, you know, I, I look at, and there's some, so the other layers that, you know, that I can't necessarily, you know, kind of recall right now, but I think we have to sort of look at revolution as different components that are sort of at play. And I think people need to know where they fit, right? Because there's some people like, fuck a book. I'm trying to get a gun, right? And other people like, "Mm, I'm not with the guns, but I'm with community education. I'm with like developing sustainable food sources. I'm into sort of collective, collectivizing, you know, you know, buying land, making sure there's a place, a sanctuary for people to feel safe, right? But I think it's really in these moments... I, I think, do we have the space to dream and to dream outside of like these neoliberal ways of dreaming? Because I think that's what has stifled the left for a long time. I, th- I think we've really sort of adopted these neoliberal yeah. strategies. And I think what it requires now is that for us to have a very radical vision, a very radical creative vision of what we want to see and what we want to what we want our lives to be like, what we want our communities yeah. to be like, and what we're willing to do to achieve yeah, those so visions, you know? Yeah. What will revolution require of us? Yeah. I think the prospect yeah. scares many of us. I would say that for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that of doesn't course. eclipse the dream. Like you said, it doesn't eclipse the dreaming and the vision in the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think whenever I hear people talk about like the Haitian revolution, for example, like I was at dinner with someone probably two months ago and she was just like, you know, she's an academic, white British academic. And she was like, blah, 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 the Haitian revolution, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, do you know the conditions that facilitated the Haitian revolution? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the conditions have to be so severe where people are willing to risk, to risk their lives because they're like, there has to be something beyond yeah. this, right? This is what we're seeing in Gaza, yeah. right? That the conditions were so oppressive that people were like, I would choose death than rather than to live under this system yeah. of oppression, yeah. Yeah. right? That's, that's the turning yeah. point. And I think the U.S. is very good at sort of keeping people down, yeah. you know? Because the conditions are yeah. similar. Mm-hmm. The conditions can be near yeah. here mm-hmm. in many of the places that right. we live and we're from. When you talk about Baltimore, right. I mean, I keep saying over and, and over. Yeah, Jackson, Mississippi, Flint, yeah. Michigan, right. Newark, Baltimore, right. Chicago. Baltimore. These places ain't no clean water, and that's right. just to name them. Right? right, there's plenty of places that still don't have. When we were looking for a house, there were lead pipes mm-hmm. that we would have to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. Cool. Not the city, not the state. Yep. We, the individual, oh, wow. would have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. So that means that those people were drinking water with lead pipes. Mm-hmm. Like... And the, governments, wow. and, and the governments and the state and local bodies know that. Yeah. And they know that lead is poisonous right. and they know the people most disproportionately impacted right. by the lead poison are black people. So... It's not that just the water is not clean. It's that it's not clean for a reason. Yeah. And so it really is high time that, like you said, so I get into our minds that what we're actually dealing with, really understanding the condition and the dire nature of them and the severity and the extent to which we are not free. Yeah. And I think the assumption as well, like you said, the neoliberal path, 
Well, if I get some money, well, if I get a job, well, if I get a degree, well, if I get this, I'll be the first to do this. I'll be the first to do this. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first to do that. Right. Then, you know, then that, right. I, you know, I start the nonprofit or I, I'm a part of the big nonprofit mm-hmm. right. or I got the corner office. Right. None of those things are pathways to freedom, but we're being sold that in yeah. order to keep right. us subservient. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. of course. I mean, you, and it works every time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. It keeps us. It keeps us on the plantation. Yeah, but in a, a prettier, oh, totally. a prettier plantation. Yeah. The rules. Because I, because I think there's this thing around sort of like that black folks have internalized around this idea of exceptionalism, yeah. right? If I make it out of the hood, if I make it out of these horrible conditions, I'm special. Yeah. I'm different. Yeah. You know. And it's just like, for me, you know, I love this conversation that I had with one of my professors from Williams. His name is Craig Wilder. I fucking love him. Fucking amazing. He grew up in Bed-Stuy, right? And he was doing, I think it was through Bard College, where they sort of teach at different sort of um, correctional institutions in New York. And so he was telling me about how he was teaching a class and there was someone who literally grew up with him in Bed-Stuy in his class, mm. right? And, you know, he he shared that story to say, he's just like, I'm a professor. I'm teaching this class in a prison. I see someone who I grew up with. He was just like, I'm not special, I'm lucky, mm. right? And for me, that always stayed with yeah. me. Because I'm just like, man, I'm surrounded by the blessings of my ancestors. Yeah. That, you know, I'm I'm not I'm I'm smart. I got good things to say, but it's I don't really believe in this idea that I'm so special yeah. because the conditions that exist in the United States are fundamentally anti black and they're not meant for my wellness or my or survival. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. The last question that I think I want to end with, considering all that you mentioned, I'll be like the crowd as a, what do we do? <laughs> you know, and spit all this game and really the game. What do we do now? So many keys to the kingdom, honestly. I would, I would say my question to you is how do you, what, what is a dream of your life? Harriet Jacobs said, you know, the dream of my life has not yet realized. Mm-hmm. what do you feel the dream of your life is or a dream that you have that's not yet realized that you hold on to and you fasten yourself to and all of this fucked up yeah I mean the thing is for me because I look at everything through this lens of sort of state mm-hmm. violence um, I just feel like what I long for especially as we're seeing the sort of tide of fascist authoritarianism, I long for community. And I long to be in close proximity to that community. And I long to be in a place that feels like home, you know? Because I've lived in different places, but I don't really feel like home, you know? And I think I've gotten used to sort of being like, I don't really like it here, but I can make it work, you know? And I and I think for me, I'm looking for a place that feels like home yeah. you know that feels like home feels like rest yeah. you know and you know i think that for me is a dream that has not been fully realized yeah. and you know i have chosen fam that's spread out everywhere yeah. you know but i do long for a place that 
that just feels where I can really sort of put roots down and just invest and be like, yo, I am here. This is my community. And I may not find that, Mm -hmm. you know, I may be one of those people that constantly looks Mm -hmm. for it. But I think that for me, that is a very deep longing that I have. That's really beautiful. I think so many people could feel resonant Mm -hmm. with that, could resonate with that. Yeah. And that's really profound. And that's mm-hmm. something I think we all listeners and watching this should really grapple with and sit yeah. with. Yeah. And sit with for ourselves. Yeah. This idea of community is yeah. it's really coming into play, you know, in this age of Aquarius. It's, it's really yeah. becoming a prominent feature of this time. Oh, wow. yeah. To be in community. And mm-hmm. to be home. It's like you yeah. are home for us and home for so many people. Yes. And so this Black History Month, a big thing is Black uh-huh. people finding a home in one another. Yeah. And really getting and really oh. need some renovation. <laughs> if you need yeah. a little paint, you know, if you need, you know, you get clean. Ah, you like ask us, ask, ask us. Her. We know about renovation. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Cypher. How can the people no, find, thank y'all. find you? How can they find your work? How can they support? Yeah. Yo. You know, people can always visit my website, SeanSaka.com. That's a really great way to reach me. Yeah, I encourage people to see the movie Everybody. I think it's a really great film. I love documentaries. I think it really hit a lot of touch points. So I really encourage people to see Everybody. People can connect with me on social media. I'm not really active on TikTok. I know that's where all the children are. You know, I'm trying. But, yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> ah, oh. yo, you like I gotta build my TikTok base. Instagram you know? was just pictures. You just put the picture. TikTok, you gotta dance. You gotta sing. It's it's a lot. Oh my god, it's a, it's a yeah. thing. It's a thing. I'm just like, who? Yeah, I'll leave that for the kids. You know, just just leave it for the children. Where you know, you love that for them. Where are your thirst traps at, Cypher? Yo, yo, in my phone. <laughs> in my phone. That's where you find all the thirst traps. I hope the government doesn't hear that, but yes. <laughs> I can't. Uh, and then some dark, the dark corners of the I web. That's where you find the, the thirst traps. Okay, so. well, we will leave you be so we yeah. can go find your thirst traps in the dark corners of the web. Yeah. We appreciate you so much. We miss you. Yeah. Yes. I know. Good I miss y'all too. Your dissertation. If we don't talk to you before then, March. Y'all send you got this. Yes. Energy to you got this. Love that. Appreciate y'all. You got this. Yo, appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Love appreciate you. y'all. Just can't wait to be reunited. Because I feel like next time I see East, East going to be like grown. Be like, what's up? Yeah, we going to make it sooner. Yo. Right? Yes. Love that. Love that. Love that Reverend Ed. You know what I'm saying? You take Reverend Ed. You know? Okay, we'll be checking on you. Appreciate you. And make sure you rest. Appreciate y'all. Yes. Love that. Love that yeah. for me. Love that for me. Love that for us.